tell you what you're listening to. Welcome to Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio with Father Richard Simon. I'm here to answer your questions. Have a question? Give us a call. 1-888-914-9149. If has any question you may have about the Lord, the faith, and the church, that's 1-888-914-9149. This is, in fact, a radio show called Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio. Uh, I'm surrounded by four computers and two gizmos. And already, all the show hasn't even started. And already, the computers have rose, risen up in rebellion. So let's pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle them in the fire of your love. Send forth your spirit. They shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. Lord, you taught the hearts of the nations by the light of the Holy Spirit. Grant us by that same Spirit to have right judgment in all things and evermore to rejoice in his comfort through Christ our Lord. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Saint Michael, the archangel, defend us in battle. Be our defense against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world seeking the ruin of the souls. And Lord, oh, we've got to run the line. Make my computers work. Who is that young man who I think has been declared blessed from Italy, who's the new patron saint of computer gizmos? I can't think of his name, but pray for us. All right. Let's go to the big book on the coffee table while I can still access it. <clears throat> yes, before the voice of my saying before total rebellion. Let, dear voice of my, let me know if if uh, if the computer whizzes and the office get my apps up and running. All right, this is the book of wisdom, the sixth chapter. And hear, O kings, and understand, learn, you magistrates of the earth's expanse. Hearken, which means listen up. <laughs> I always think, hearken. Why do they, they love to keep these archaic words in, hearken. Well, well, we're hearkening here. Authority is given by the Lord. This is kind of hard for us to understand. Because we we so believe that that uh, power comes from the the people and I, I you know on a certain level i agree with that i'm i am not a monarchist um though i know some um uh, but um i really would like to ideally believe that that um that power comes from the consent of the governed which it does but ultimately it comes from the lord that uh, this is kind of hard for us to to, to to lay hold of mentally, because though you are ministers of his kingdom, you judge not rightly, you do not keep his law, um, nor walk according to the will of God, terribly and swiftly shall he come against you. I've known a few politicians. In fact, I actually have a picture of me, Rabbi Levkovitz, and Governor Blagojevich. <laughs> I don't over dinner it's it's quite a picture it sounds like a joke the governor a rabbi and a priest but it isn't uh anything governor um so don't worry i'm not going to lapse into politics uh, but i've known i've met i met 
Congressman Henry Hyde, of course, I've known Congressman Lipinski, and I've known quite a few other, well, not quite a few, but a number of other uh, congressmen, elected officials, and I would say Congressman Hyde and Congressman Lipinski were the only two I ever met who thought they were answerable to God. Um, it's a very funny situation that we have, uh, that, that, um, ah, oh, the patron saint of computers, the voice of my head just said is Blessed Carlo Acutis, who is, if you haven't ever studied Blessed Carlo, how do you spell the last name? A-C-U-T-I-S. If you haven't studied the life of, of Blessed Carlo Acutis, it's really something. I know Bishop Slattery is really big on him and uh, gave me a wonderful little booklet on his life. Uh, but uh, back to the topic about politicians. Um, I think it's very important to understand that God allows us to choose politicians, and politicians need to hear that they're ultimately responsible to God. And uh, it's very, very interesting that that we don't, in our system, we don't think that. And because they're responsible to God, the scripture is clear that short of immorality, we owe them uh, uh, obedience if they're not asking us to do something immoral. Uh, and the scriptures are pretty clear on this, uh, that um, uh, they are put in, uh, just the other day, in the Office of Readings, I think it was uh, from the first letter of Peter, talking about how God has put these people in charge and we are to obey them. And I don't like that because my people came over here to, for political reasons in the, in the 1800s. Um, and I think most Americans, you know, we have to remember, we are a revolutionary republic. And um, uh, I, I personally, our Constitution Long may it, may, long may it prosper. is a is a marvel, uh, and it's interesting. Uh, there aren't a lot of people trying to escape the United States. There's an awful lot of people trying to get in. Just that said, moving on from that, we still, as citizens, need to understand that the scriptures are clear. Our citizenship is in heaven, and that authority is ultimately given by God and answerable to God. And uh, those people who are in politics uh, should um, really tremble a little at that. Well, let's go to the gospel, which I'd like to talk about a lot more. Luke, the 17th chapter, the 11th verse and following. Jesus continued his journey to Jerusalem. He traveled through Samaria and Galilee as he was entering a village. Interesting, it doesn't say where this village is. Let's explain a little about Samaria and, Samaria, Samaria and Galilee. Essentially, you had th three provinces, uh, and still do in in uh, the Holy Land. You have in the north Galilee, uh, which was uh, colonized by people from Judea, uh, oh, in the centuries immediately before Christ. Then you had Samaria, where the Samaritans lived, and they claimed to be Israel. Descendants of Joseph, and they they have, and there's still about 800 Samaritans left. Uh, they they live in the state of the modern state of Israel, uh, in the Holy Land, and uh, um, they're having a real hard time because there are just not many of them left. 
but they do have a genetic claim to be the descendants of the northern tribes, uh, those parts that were left in um, uh, the Holy Land. Now, um, this this and the southern province is, of course, Judea, uh, which included the land given to the tribe of Simeon, uh, the land given to the tribe of Benjamin, and the land given to the tribe of Judah. So you have those three sections. Now, what are these people doing hanging around? Well, they were they were uh, unclean. This is, I need to talk about leprosy a little bit. When we talk about leprosy in the modern world, we are talking about Hansen's disease, which is now, I believe, curable. It is, it uh, is certainly treatable, was curable, and it's, though contagious, it is not easily, conta- uh, not easy to catch. Um, that, uh, the great Saint Damien of Molokai, um, Saint, he was, uh, uh, minister to, to uh, very bravely, uh, very self-sacrificingly to the leper colonies of Hawaii, or the one leper colony, Molokai colony, Molokai. So um, you got to understand the meaning of leprosy in the Torah, in the law. We read about it in Leviticus, the 13th and 14th chapter, and it's called Tzara'at. It is, it is a very strange, I remember talking to Rabbi Lefkowitz about this, very strange um, treatment of it by um, uh, Orthodox Judaism. Uh, it is believed that Sa'arat, um, it was a skin disease, and it was thought to be spiritual, a spiritual malady that had a physical symptom. Now, I can't say that as a Christian and as a modern person that I agree with this, but the rabbis talked about it as a spiritual condition, and it it was it was a a a function a a punishment, believe it or not, for sin. That that it was the number of sins uh, um, uh, are are. Uh, uh, thought to cause it, uh, that murder or theft, but in particular, gossip. We remember the the complaining of Moses' uh, sister and of his brother Aaron uh, against him. They call it the the, the Lashon Ra'ah, the evil tongue. And... um, this is this is uh, a punishment. This leprosy was a punishment. Their their skin developed these white blotches. It's it's very hard for us to understand this. Also, very interestingly, in in uh, Leviticus, uh, the thirteenth chapter, the thirteenth verse of Leviticus, it it actually says that when the skin becomes entirely white, the priest will call them clean. There's there's leprosy of a garment there's leprosy of a building it's a very complex thing but the important thing for us to understand in this context in the context of today's reading is that it was thought to be a punishment for sin now let's look back at the text uh and i i hansen's disease is most certainly not a punishment for sin it's a matter of a virus so as he was entering the village 10 lepers met him they stood at a distance from him and raised their voice saying jesus master have pity on us 
when he saw them, he said, go show yourself to the priests. And they were going and they were cleansed. It doesn't say they were healed. They were cleansed. This was uh, um, a ritual. If you look at Leviticus 13 and 14, that was rather complicated. And it, it had to do with atonement for sin. You know, there's we don't get forgiveness of sin in the Old Covenant. God forgives sins in the Old Covenant, but the sacrifices of the law are a matter of reconciliation between God and man, not the forgiveness of sin. Um, that, that sin puts you outside the ability to enter into worship, to, to function in the temple. It's a completely different mindset than ours. That, that in a sense, all of those Torah laws, those 603 laws, uh, are all about readiness to, to enter into worship. If you are unclean, you can't go into the temple. You can't be part of the public worship of Israel. Now, in order to be reconciled to God and to especially the worshiping community, you have to undergo rituals that only a priest can do. And so they're asking to be cleansed, not healed. It's very interesting as a, a difference. As they were going, they realized they were cleansed. And one of them, realizing he'd been healed, returned glorifying God in a loud voice. He fell at the feet of Jesus and thanked him. He was a Samaritan. Interesting that the Samaritan, now I'm not sure I really understand this passage. We're working on it together here. I mean, I've thought about it a lot. But the Samaritan couldn't have been, he couldn't have uh, engaged in the temple, the rituals of the temple anyway. He wasn't Israel as far as uh, the Jews and, and uh, uh, the temple structure uh Real, recognize Israel. He was an, he was not able to go into the temple by their criteria. So Jesus says, ten were cleansed, were they not were the other night? They're doing exactly what Jesus told them to do. Has none but this foreigner returned to give thanks to God? Then he said, stand up and go. Your faith has saved you. This is interesting to me. The other nine were doing exactly what they were supposed to do. They were supposed to go show themselves to the priest. The priest would then notice that the white blotches were gone. Then they would offer the, the prescribed ritual, undergo the prescribed purification, and then be reintegrated into the society of, of, uh, of Israel. The Samaritan, those rituals, weren't, they, they weren't accessible to him. And he comes directly to Jesus and says, thank you. Now, at the end of the passage, see, this is really complicated stuff. It really, really is. At the end of the passage, we read, stand up and go. Your faith has saved you. Well, this is about salvation by grace through faith that, that Jesus is saying that someone who's not a Jew, someone who is not under the law, can be saved by faith. And he's setting up a, a new dynamic. He's, he's saying that the law, 
the Torah, the, the strictures of the Torah, are over, just as he did when he made all foods clean. Saved by grace through faith. Well, when we hear that, we think, oh, that's Protestant. No, it's Bible. But you got to understand what grace is. Now, I'm, I may go a little long today. How are we doing at letter app-wise? Any news? We're working on it. Well, then I might go a little long today in this because, well, who knows what's going to happen. Where was I? Uh, the the um, uh, I'll tell you a story. This is a story that I have told many times, and I will tell it again. What does it mean to be saved by grace through faith? We all know what grace is. We all know what faith is. Faith is really scrunching ourselves up and saying, I do believe, I do believe, I do believe, even if I don't. Uh, it's got to be true. It's got to be true. Please, it's got to be true. That's faith. And the grace, those are those rays that come out of the sky through the clouds in the holy pictures. And it's something you get by doing stuff. You know, you talk up grace. That's not grace. That's not faith. Grace, it's a simple word that means an undeserved favor. Something that's given to you that you don't deserve. And Faith, I tell you constantly, means trust. Now, I've shared with you before that, that God's purpose in your life is to make you look like Jesus. He wants to adopt you. The Father wants to adopt you. In order to do that, he's got to make you look like Jesus. And so, um, uh, uh, how does he do that? Well, he does it by grace, through faith. Well, what did Jesus look like? If I'm going to have to look like Jesus, what did Jesus look like? When you read in Galatians, the fifth chapter, the fruits of the Holy Spirit are these. Love, peace, patience, joy, long-suffering, humility, etc. Uh, generosity, you know, kindness. I should memorize that list from St. Paul. Um, these are the fruits of the Holy Spirit. That's what Jesus looked like. If you could have gotten into a car, into a, into a, um, if you get into a time machine and go back to the carpenter shop in Nazareth, you wouldn't say, oh, what beautiful blue eyes Jesus had. And he had those blonde curls just like the, the calendar on the refrigerator. No, you wouldn't say that. You'd say, my gosh, he was generous. He undercharged me. He was so kind. I mean, you know, this guy's a contractor. He really was a nice guy. You know, you would have been overwhelmed by Jesus, by his joy, by his his kindness, his generosity to you. Um, I often think, you know, some customers, if you're in the, in the, in the construction business and as a contractor, you know, people can be difficult. Um, <laughs> you know, I imagine somebody came into Jesus shop and said, I am not paying you, not a shekel until you make it the way I said, Jesus would have said, of course, you're the boss. I will do it the way you want. And uh, I can imagine this difficult customer on the judgment days. He looks at Jesus and says, you know, I always liked your work. I recommend it. So, uh, I, I, you know, and, and if you are working with a contractor, you know that contractors can be difficult. You wouldn't have thought of his lovely blue eyes and beautiful blind curls like the, which is, I doubt that he looked like that, like the, the calendar on the, on the refrigerator. You would have been overwhelmed by his generosity, his kindness, his humility, all of these things. The fruits of the Holy Spirit. That's what Jesus looked like. And that's what God wants you to look like. So how does he do it? By grace, through faith. I had an experience like that. Shall I continue this? Uh, why don't we take the break? I'll continue this soliloquy when we come back. And uh, and we'll continue the soliloquy. And then we'll do mass hysteria. And then 
heaven willing, by that time, I'll have my letters back. All right, uh, we'll be right back, and I'll finish this soliloquy about what it means to be saved by grace through faith. The Relevant Radio Studio Line is sponsored by Catholic Order of Foresters. Information about employment opportunities and their flexible premium life insurance plans available at relevantradio.com slash forester. Oh, this is great. This is an old hippie number from, from my youth, Cat Stevens, who now is something Muhammad something or other. Oh, well, <laughs> Yusuf, Yusuf, Muhammad Yusuf or something. Um, he, he regrets all his music, but <laughs> we don't. All right, let's, uh, let's, uh, uh, where was I? I was doing a soliloquy. Uh, the, what about Advent Inspirations? Uh, am I supposed to shill for... We'll do that the next break. I wouldn't know if I'm supposed to shill because my letter app is down. Oh, bother. Let's let's continue with this soliloquy. I, I'm trying to make the point that salvation by grace through faith isn't this kind of juridical forensic, I believe, therefore I'm saved and God's just going to do it. I don't have to do nothing. That's not saved by grace through faith. And and I really believe this this um, this section of scripture is about being saved by grace through faith. That the nine were doing exactly uh, what uh, what they were supposed to do, and they didn't arrive at grace or faith. Um, okay, now let's move along here. The the uh, before the the break, I met, I said God's purpose is to make you look like Jesus, so He can adopt you. What did Jesus look like? He looked like the fruits of the Holy Spirit: love, peace, patience, joy. I remember one morning when I made the mistake of picking up the phone as I was on my way over to church to say mass. And it was of course a hospital that needed, somebody needed a priest. Uh, the, the, so I thought, well, I'll be right over as soon as I finish mass. And I went straight from the altar to the garage, to my car with the holy oils and not even mind you, not even a cup of coffee by then. And, um, I'm at a light, not too far from the hospital. I was trying to get to and wham in the back and i get out of the car and i look and i have been hit by a vehicle that was rust held together with duct tape and out of this tiny little car gets this tall fellow and i look at him and i say do you have insurance and he looks at me and he says romanian I said you have a license he says romanian romanian uh do you speak anything? I can be polite in Polish. I can actually communicate in Spanish and a little in German, a little Italian. Romanian, Romanian. And meanwhile, I think there's this guy dying in the hospital, and the dent was not big. It matched all the other dents in my car. And so I just said, fat, and I got back in my car and moved on. And I looked at heaven, and I said to the Lord, Lord, I'm trying to be a good little priest I don't deserve this. And the little voice inside which sometimes speaks said, no, you didn't deserve this. This is an undeserved favor. <sighs> what? Remember the definition of grace is an undeserved favor? God gives us things in 24 hours, in the space of 24 hours, to help us look like Jesus. 
We may not think they're grace. They're not rays of sun coming through the clouds, as in the holy pictures. No, they are sometimes Romanians without insurance. Now, I've known so many Romanians. I find them heroic people. This is not his Romanianness, but that's what he said. Uh, perhaps he wasn't Romanian, just using it as a dodge. But, what, Lord, what are you trying to do here? You see, the Lord is trying to work patience and kindness and forgiveness in me. And he did it by having somebody ram me in the back bumper. That was grace. I didn't deserve it. It was a, a pure gift. Now, how do you how do you receive God's gifts, especially when they don't seem to be the gifts that you want? By faith. I remember the this um, this greeting card I got once uh, uh, from a little series called Sherman on the Mount. It's a little monk or friar, and all the little forest creatures are huddled about him. He's standing on this little hill, and the caption is, Oh, Lord, help me to endure my blessings. <laughs> and, you know, that that's... I tell you constantly, the word faith means trust, both the noun and the verb. I believe is I trust, and to have faith is to have trust. God, you're doing something in my life. Jesus, I trust in you. That's a, what this parable is about, that this Samaritan realized that the relationship with Jesus what was, was salvific. That it wasn't just going through the steps, going through the, jumping through the hoops, they they didn't realize that their salvation was really to be in relationship with their Savior. The Samaritan realized it. The law was not accessible to him, but Jesus was. Now, by law, I mean Torah. I don't mean, you know, you can run through stop signs singing, I don't care if it rains or freezes as long as I got my plastic Jesus. I, some of you who are as old as I am know that reference. So... This is to be saved by grace through faith, to be saved by what God gives you, trusting him as he gives it to you. That's the hallmark. Obedience is the hallmark of Jesus' personality. And the point is that, that, that obedience is faith. What? You know, well, I'm saved by faith, not works. Whenever you see saved by faith, not works, in the writings of St. Paul, invariably he's talking about the works of the law. These ritual prescriptions that that are were terribly important in the Old Testament because they created the identity of the people of Israel and 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 brought them back to a a, a, a holy relationship with God. But when God appeared on earth, those six hundred and three commandments we believe were no longer necessary. Ten didn't go away, but the six hundred and three did. So. <laughs> This is the point of it, that, that we're saved in our trust of Jesus. Now, there is such a thing called notional or nominal faith. Um, and we in the business of religion, we get into it. Yeah, yeah, I, I believe one God, the Father, and the Maker, and the I, yeah, I can, yeah, I believe, I think all that stuff is true. That's, yeah, okay. That's notional faith. And it's important. The concepts of the faith are very important, but I don't believe one one gosh good darn of them, except that Jesus told me that resurrection from the dead. Resurrection from the dead? 
I wouldn't believe a word of that if it wasn't because Jesus said that. You know, this is what Jesus has said. So my faith and the propositions of the faith are because I know the person of Jesus of Nazareth. And I know he's telling me the truth and I can trust him, even in difficult situations. You know, that verse in the letter of the Hebrews, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Let's retranslate. Without trust, it is impossible to please God. I struggle in my life, in the difficult situations that I encounter, to trust God. And that's what this, this story is about. The nine went about fulfilling the law like they were supposed to. But they failed to enter into relationship with Jesus who had, who had saved them. Notional faith is not real faith. It's important, but it's the secondary uh, consequence of coming to know Christ. The first is that I live my life, uh, and I think clergy especially, not, not because of the meetings, not because of the business, not because of the theology, but because it's Jesus. It's Jesus. And who can you trust if you don't trust Jesus? Well, let's, let's, uh, let's mass hysteria, and I get go to. Okay. Let's. You got a mess song, dear Love voice, in my head? Or should together. we take a break? Oh, there we go. <laughs> it's Oh Lord, I know you are near. <laughs> I think that's pretty funny. Okay, that was um, uh, uh, um, a very interesting version of this song. I'm still not getting the apps. Are you getting the apps where you are, voice in my head? Okay, go to... Uh, all right, I'll try and sign in there. Who knows? All right. Um, uh, okay, I don't know what I can do this. How about sending me some letters access that, dear voice in my head? you want to do that while I'm talking about mass hysteria? Yeah, that one. Mm -hmm, yeah, okay. All right, where was I? Uh, the... Yeah, radio's not an exact science, the voice in my head, especially when I'm dealing with it. Isn't this a fun show? The, the computers are totally crashing. All right, but moving along here, uh, um, that, that, the version of that song, Oh Lord, I Know You Are Near, much nicer because what they did was they used the sacred name, YHWH, and no Jew who is Orthodox would ever say that out loud. That, that, uh, YHWH was reserved for, um, the high priest once a year when he went into the Holy of Holies. When a, a when a Jew sees the word YHWH in the scriptures, he doesn't say, uh, I even hesitate to say it though. Pope Benedict said in, in Bible study, we can use it. We cannot use that word in, in worship. YHWH. When they say, see that, they say, Adonai, which means Lord. And when they put the vowel points into Hebrew, uh, after the destruction of the temple by the Romans, uh, a while after that, nobody was speaking Hebrew, so they decided they had to put vowels in. Hebrew has, does not have vowels when it's written normally. It still does. They still write Hebrew without vowels. So they will put the little points above and below the line to indicate vowels, uh, so they didn't change the sacred text. So if you combine the vowels of Adonai with YHWH, you get Jehovah. 
and that word didn't exist before 1200 AD. But that's I digress on that totally. But uh, you know that that it's kind of funny that 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 they would when that song was written, they decided we should call God by His Bible name YHWH. They wanted to be more Jewish all the time, taking Jewish things out of the liturgy. For instance, incense. Incense is important to the liturgy. Now, nobody's going to like what I have to say. I think incense is important. It, it, it was normal in most masses until uh, the Middle Ages. It was, it was uh, a very common thing in the ancient world. And it symbolized the prayers of the saints. It symbolized the Holy Spirit. Uh, in the Coptic church, the, the Egyptian church, they believe it forgives sin. It was required in the temple. You offered incense with every sacrifice. And it was a pleasing fragrance to the Lord. It was symbolic of our prayers rising to heaven. So it's very, very Jewish. So the same bunch of people who took out incense and other things Jewish in the liturgy wanted to start calling God YHWH makes no sense. The liturgy as it was designed has so many things that bring us back to the temple. Now, the other thing is, Father, you may like incense, but not everybody in your congregation does. Remember that incense for you or, or incense is really supposed to be about the prayers of the saints rising to heaven, not part of the show. And I have met priests who use so much incense that people are crawling. I once literally had to crawl out of a church when I was a student. The whole congregation was crawling out of the the chapel on hand knees. We were afraid the fire department was going to come because there was so much incense. It was billowing out the windows. That's, you know, that's offering the the incense offering uh, to the show and to the people. God has a really good sense of smell, Father. A little bit goes a long way. So I would encourage you, you to use incense, but not to create a situation in which you should have uh, breathing apparatus distributed to the congregation. Uh, a little goes a very long way. And you need to be sensitive to people in your congregation who have things like asthma or breathing conditions or just good sense. Uh, a little goes a long way. But on the other hand, incense is integral to the, it. It's it ties us again to the temple. And this is part of the universality, the Catholicism of the church. Our Catholicism is not something that spreads simply through space, but also spreads through time. Huh. We're going to go to another break. I'll come back with a word of the day and some phone calls. Oh, 888-914-9149. This has been a very, a very wearing show. Not, it's not your fault, folks. It's the computer I'm saying. 888-914-9149. We shall return. The Relevant Radio Studio Line is sponsored by Catholic Order of Foresters. Information about employment opportunities and their flexible premium life insurance plans available at relevantradio.com slash forester. Life is getting only more complicated here, but we will not let that stop us. Let us go to the word of the day. 
In the reading, they use an interesting word. They stood at a distance from him and raised their voice, saying, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. I thought, what is that word for master? Hmm. Uh, there are lots of words it could be. It could it 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 uh, it can mean teacher, but it really means commander. It's epistatis. It's it's a very interesting word. It means the one who stands over. It's the person in charge. It's from the word standing on. Standing. Uh, uh, it's a legal term. Standing on ownership. They're they're recognizing him as as being their owner, and. That's what they call him, epistatis. And the only one for whom that's real is the Samaritan. He, and Jesus says, it's interesting, he says to him, uh, 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 he says, stand up and go. This guy's on his knees. And he, he isn't in control of of his situation. He's come to realize Jesus is in control of his situation. Epistatis. You're, you're standing above me, whereas the others, well, if we do this and we do that, then we're in control. So often in, our, in my religious life, I think if I do the, say this prayer and perform this ritual, then God owes me. God owes me nothing. Uh, it's all grace. So I really believe this, this passage, again, is about grace by faith. Do we have any phone calls yet, dear voice in my head? Oh, good. Let's go to phone calls. Buddy the Elf, what's your favorite color? Marianne from Maine, are you with us? Hello? Hello, Marianne. Yes, All the way from Marianne. Maine. Hello, Good. Father. What can I do for you? Hello. What can when I do for you, Marianne? There was the eight people, Noah and his family, but all the people of the earth had been destroyed. So did we really come from Noah and his family? We go from Adam and Eve to Noah. <clears throat> the, the problem we have here is the word land or, or earth. We think of the earth as a finite ball. In the ancient world, that concept didn't exist. The word is Eretz, kol ha-Eretz. All of the the land, all of the earth, all of it. It could have been just the place where it, the word could mean the place where Moses was, or rather Noah was, or it could have been the whole thing. There certainly was a flood. You know, we look at other mythologies and other creation stories, other things like that, and the the concept of the flood seems to be universal. In fact, is there are actually some pretty good archaeological candidates for it. The text is not talking about the flood happening. It's explaining what the flood meant. That's really important to understand. And we say things, you know, I don't know if you're old enough to remember the story, uh, the, 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 the TV show Mork from Ork. The joke of Mork from Ork was he took everything literally. If you said to Mork, Everyone was there. He would say, how did you fit 7 billion people in that room? That was the joke. Language is, of its nature, poetic. And so when we try to use the text of Genesis as a precise history, 
we miss, I think, the meaning of it. Now, perhaps the, uh, there was a worldwide flood, and perhaps everyone on earth was killed. Very interesting. If you look at um, uh, genetics, um, it seems that at a number of points in human history, and not talking religion, but just talking genetics, at a number of points in human history, there were kind of bottlenecks where there were just a few people um, whose genes survived. Uh, that, that this idea that we're all descended from a very few people, that's genetically true. And that's gene- that's spiritually and, and, and I think uh, morally very important. Uh, you know, the Darwinists, for instance, uh, the pseudo-Darwinists, the social Darwinists of the 19th and 20th century said, well, we're all descended from monkeys, but some of us are descended from a better class of monkeys than others. And there are people trying to renew that, uh, especially in China, that they are descended from a superior stock. And the truth is that we are all descended from one man and one woman who lived, mm, the scientists vary, 100, 200,000 years ago. They call them genetic Adam and genetic Eve. And there were actually a couple times in human history, uh, speaking genetically, not biblically, that there were a couple of bottlenecks when there were just a few Homo sapiens sapiens, which is what they describe us as. So, yes, we are descended from a very few people. Now, if those few people were Adam and Eve, as well, they were Adam and Eve, which just means a man and his wife, uh, or they were um, uh, Noah and his wife and his and his children. Who knows? I wasn't there. But the meaning of the story is that all human beings are closely related and we're all in this together and nobody is better genetically than anybody else. Christians and Jews arrived at that long before science did. And uh, that's something that we as believers can be proud of. Well, thanks for calling in. Thanks for listening. We got anyone else on the line, dear voice in my head? Jeffrey from Glendale, Arizona. Are you with us in this most chaotic show? Yes. Hi, Father. Hi. <laughs> Throw me a softball. I need one. What can I do for you, Jeffrey? Uh, yeah, I think this will be a, a softball, but uh, I'm oh, you know, good. first-time caller, long-time listener. Um, but my Protestant friend, uh, who is Romanian, but I assure you he speaks English. Oh, um, yes. yes. Oh, Romanian <laughs> Christians have been heroic. Just heroic. Yeah. I have such oh, great yeah, admiration for the Romanian, yeah. Romanian Pentecostals, Romanian Evangelicals, and Romanian uh, Orthodox and Catholics. But go on, go on, I've interrupted you. But, yes, uh, he was asking about the vow of celibacy in priesthood, um, and he used mm-hmm. the first book of Timothy, chapter 3, verse 2 through 4. Um, and it was talking about how uh, bishops, um, you know, should be married and all this other stuff, and I kind of was caught off guard by it. But my question mm-hmm. is, where does the vow of celibacy comes from? Uh, where does it come from in the uh, the priesthood? Oh, oh, that's easy. That's easy. Hold on, let me pull it up. Okay, for the kingdom. Okay. Hoping my computer works. It looks like, yes, yes, Matthew nineteen twelve. For there are eunuchs who are born that way, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by others, and there are those who choose to live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. The one who can accept this should accept it. Matthew 19.12. That 
the scripture says the implication is that a bishop should never be married more than once, or an elder should never be married more than once, or a deacon never married more than once. Uh, that's the the seems I think to be the the force of those passages. And Catholicism does have married priests, lots of them, especially in the Eastern rites of the church. You know, the Byzantine uh, uh, Christians um, certainly uh, allow for married, uh, uh, married, married priests. The thing is that, that if you are married in the Eastern church, you may be ordained, but if you're ordained, you may not be married. In other words, if uh, a married man becomes a clergyman and his wife uh, dies or there's a tragedy of divorce, uh, he has taken a promise not to marry again. And uh, it's not a vow of celibacy. I didn't think of vow of celibacy. I made a promise of celibacy, which is uh, essentially has the same effect. But uh, a vow of celibacy is saying this is the way that God... Uh, wants to work out my salvation. And it, uh, vows of celibacy are taken by people in religious orders. Diocesan priests do not take vows, but we do make promises which have similar effect. Uh, but that idea of, of celibacy, um, you know, I don't know the future of it because our society has become so fragile that I don't know that it can... Uh, strong societies that have strong families can sustain celibacy. And the only way that you can sustain a healthy celibacy is by having rewarding and fulfilling relationships. And those have to do with families. Traditionally, you know, you had farm family of 10 people and, and one of the kids became a priest and a couple of the girls became nuns. And they had these strong ties to their families and to their communities. Now those, you know, you have two kids and they go off one of them to California to find himself and the other decides to go to seminary. And they really become orphaned. So I don't, I really seriously don't know that our society as it is now can sustain celibacy because, of course, uh, in the priesthood, uh, <laughs> oh well, don't anybody listen, just, just the two of us here will chat about this. But in, in the priesthood, uh, because everyone assumes that a friendship is physically intimate, if a couple guys go out to dinner, people assume they're a couple. So if I go out to dinner with a priest friend, is that scandalous? If I were to travel with a woman, even who is my relative, people would look at him and say, isn't he a priest? It has become the situation that a priest cannot have friendships because our society has become so corrupt that they assume those friendships involve physical intimacy. And so I wonder if, if uh, unless we reestablish Catholic uh, family values and, and become family-oriented, I'm wondering if celibacy can be sustained. So it's a very interesting topic. But does that help a little? Uh, yeah, yeah, it actually, that helped a lot. Thank you very much. Well, there you go, there you go. Celibacy is very useful. I served in parishes where I could not, uh, I could not have gone had I a wife and children. I, I would never have asked them to risk the dangerous neighborhoods that I served in, in, in the west side in Chicago, uptown in Chicago, um, uh, that, that I was able to do that. Because, you know, right. when you're married, your first vocation is wife and kids. Uh, and um, and that, that's a lot to ask of a, uh, of a wife and children uh, to go into those dangerous situations. So interesting, just an interesting perspective on it. So, um, but hey. 
The Lord is good. Thanks for calling in. Thanks for listening into this chaotic broadcast presentation. All right. Have we got anyone else on the line, dear voice in my head? KB from Nashville, Tennessee. Are you with us, KB? Uh, yeah, Father. I'm right here. Good. What can I do for you? Hey, could you talk about uh, Romans 9, I believe it's 13, and this is where my buddy, he says that God doesn't love everybody. It's in the Bible. It's in Romans nine thirteen, where God is saying, I love, but I didn't love this person. Oh, yeah, that? yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yes. It is written, Jacob, I love, but Esau, I hated. <laughs> that is one of the right. hardest verses to deal with in the scripture. Uh, it's... it's um, it's it's let's see here let me let me see if i can pull it up um and the word in greek is hate uh um uh, that that it is a quote uh, um from uh the book of malachi um uh, let me let me pull up the quote from malachi okay malachi 1 verse 2 i have loved you says the lord but you ask how have you loved us was not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord, yet I have loved Jacob. Uh, uh, but Esau I have hated, and I have made his mountains a wasteland, and left his inheritance to desert jackals. He is talking in the context of Malachi 1-2. He's talking about the blessing he gave to the, to the children of Jacob. In other words, to Israel. Whereas the children of Esau were the were other Semitic people, and he had not blessed them the way he blessed Jacob. It isn't our idea. I, I don't think it's it's God sitting up there hating. It's that he has chosen to bless one in a remarkable way, and for his own purpose, he has not chosen to bless another. I doubt that's going to satisfy your friend, but but in its context, I think that's what's being said. That uh, um, uh, um, that. That um, let me get back to the passage uh, that I originally looked at uh, in Romans nine thirteen uh, that that this gift of grace this this passage also is about being saved uh, by grace and not by works of the law that um, he he's talking about God's plan of election. Before the twins were born, Jacob and Esau had done anything good or bad in order that God's plan of election might stand, not by works of the law, but by him who calls. She was told the older works will serve the younger. So what he's trying to, to say in this, he, he's talking to, to people who think, well, you really got to be Jewish to be Christian. He's saying God doesn't work that way, that that it's pure grace. Uh I don't think it's about loving and hating when you look at it in the context of Malachi, uh, the first chapter, that it's about God gives certain blessings to certain people and he doesn't give them to others. And that means they have more responsibility. You can almost translate, I think, I've given more responsibility to Jacob than to Esau. Speaking of responsibility, Drew's coming up and he's quite responsible. <laughs> 